morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Yeah, good? Real good or fake good? Fake good? Okay. Thanks for your honesty. So, um, excellent. That's good to hear. Um, how many of you uh, know what a millennial is? Some of you uh, raised your hands with the attitude, Nick. <laughs> how many of you know what a baby boomer is? We're going to have a little bit of an interactive discussion uh, to open up the message this morning. What are some things that characterize the way that Millennials talk. What are some things that millennials say? The, the, oh, like? Using the incorrect form of literally. Literally every time. Um, sorry, not sorry. Have you heard, heard that? Sorry, not sorry. Um, it is what it is. Um, I have this list here and some of these I've never heard, um, but others I have, and I still don't know what they mean. W woke. You heard, heard that one? So woke. Basil is, is woke. Except for at any time before eight o'clock in the morning. He is not woke then. Uh, salty. Have you heard that one? You know what that means? Salty. Um, it means, uh, what? Mad? Okay. Cranky? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's spelled differently. Um, the struggle is real. You heard that? Okay. All the time. Um, uh, basic, the, the word basic, that's, that's basic. You can be a basic white girl. Um, it's, it's becoming uh, basic white girl season here real soon, right? Fall pumpkin spice lattes. Um, okay. Now let's flip it around. What are some things that Baby boomers say, "What's wrong with the, what's wrong with those millennials?" <laughs> I've heard something about snowflakes. Is that that's something baby boomers say? Anything else? Get off my lawn. To quote Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino, "Get off my lawn." <clears throat> Anything else? In my day, back in my day, have you seen my glasses? Have you seen my glasses? <laughs> They're on my head. Um, ha have you opened a savings account? Where's my checkbook? Do you 
Do you take checks? So I think I think what we can what we can acknowledge is that what's that? Yes. Yeah. That, that is true. Um, that's all right. I think what we can acknowledge is that um, that the generations are different, right? Gen X, everyone does, everyone does. And, and, and the first to remind us that we forgot Gen X is a Gen Xer, right? <laughs> it would be logical, yeah. Um, so the reality is, is that, that generations are, are different. We're, we're all different. Like, like I grew up with, uh, my grandma, my grandma's about to turn 96. Um, when I was about 13, there were so many things that she did and said that I just could not understand for the life of me. Um, I couldn't understand why. We couldn't eat in the living room. It didn't make any sense. It, I don't, I don't, I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why, um, like if you even looked at the arm of the couch as if you're going to sit on it, you were, you were in trouble already. Um, there, there's just so many things. She, she said things that I didn't understand. She wore clothes in a way I didn't understand. She she wore her pants above her belly button, and l- legitimately, the reason the the reason why she told me the reason why is that she grew up believing that you catch cold through your belly button. I don't think science supports that. And and the reality is is that we we butted heads all the time. Um, part of that was because I was an angsty, angry teenager. Part of that was because she had teenagers in her home in her 80s. Why she agreed to that, I don't know. Um, but generations are different. And, and I think what I see happening in our country, in our culture today, is that like never before, Generations have become shut off from one another. Generations have decided that it's not worth the effort to build relationships across generational lines. And that results in more than just people not knowing how to use cell phones. That results in missed opportunities to learn and grow from one another. I think, you know, I think we can all relate to the idea that, um, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, um, I have to be careful. My mom's here when I'm telling stories. When I was a kid, um, the, the question of why, why, why do, why do I have to do that? The answer a lot of times, and, and I find myself saying it now because I said so because I'm your dad or 
she would say, because I'm your mom, because I said so. And I think the reality, like, like that, like when you, once you become a parent, you'll recognize that 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 is sometimes the only answer. That there is no other answer. I don't want to argue about it. I don't want to explain it. It's because I said so. Um, sometimes I have to tell that to Basil because I because I said so, Basil. We're we're uh, looking at the book of Titus. The book of Titus is, as we said uh, a couple weeks ago, it is an epistle. It is a letter written. Uh, in this case, it's written to Titus, who was a kind of a leader in the first century church. But more than to Titus, it was written for Titus. It was written as kind of like a letter of recommendation, which is like what you would include as part of a resume packet. That's an explanation. Resumes are something that you write to get jobs. That's the, that's a something. That's a little tip for millennials. <laughs> so Titus writes. Uh, Paul writes this letter for, for Titus to Titus about Titus because he's going to be spending the foreseeable future establishing ministry in the island of Crete. And last week, or not, not last week, the, the, the previous part of this, this series, when we were talking about this, we talked about how in, in Paul's introduction to this letter, he talks about how it's, Important, like he establishes these qualifications for what it looks like to be a leader because he's establishing a culture, an idea, a, a baseline for what what the culture was is should to, should look like, how to defend that culture, and the best way to do that is to make sure you have the right people in place. He talks about being relentless about protecting and and uh, defending the culture of the church. We talked a little bit about what Reve's culture is. We're going to kind of continue blending those things, those converse, that, that conversation, the conversation that Paul had with Timothy, and also the conversation about who we are as a church. Um, that's, I, don't, I just looked down and uh, someone else's church service was streaming on Facebook on my, my iPad. It was good. It's not close. You couldn't make it. <laughs> so we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2 this morning, starting in verse 1. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. He says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Teach the older men to what? To be temperate. What does that mean? Self-controlled, even-tempered. I think the next 
the next thing that he he says is really interesting because I think this this is something that I I think um, we should understand. Um, it says worthy of respect. Like we ought to not just expect respect. We should be worthy of respect. We should be worthy of uh, of the honor that we expect other generations to give us. He says self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine. He didn't say that to the men. Apparently, the, the women in Crete had an issue. <laughs> not the men. That seems unlikely. Um, not to be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. <coughs> Likewise, then if they, if they do these things, then I always like whenever you're reading anything, whether it's the Bible or not, like these kind of words are really important. Then, but, therefore, like, like these are, these are words that, that help us to, to understand the, the logic behind what's being said. And so, so Paul says, likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much, too much wine, but to teach what is good. Then if they do that, if they do those things, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands. Then they can do that. You, however, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything, set them an example by what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So, so Paul is telling him, like, the, one of the big reasons why we want to encourage this kind, these kinds of relationships. One of the big, the big, big reasons why we want to encourage these kinds of kinds of relationships is why, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. He's saying this because people are watching. The world is watching. The world is watching about how we interact. The world is watching about how we view one another. The world is watching about how we care about one another. The world sees it. They see it. What do they see? 
Are they left with nothing bad to say about us? Or do they see the fact that we don't know how to interact with one another any better than the people outside the church do? Do they see and look at us and see the fact that we don't know how to love one another across generational lines any better than the world outside does? You can can look at this list and you can see what you want to see. But the reality is, is that this is it is an admonishment from the older generation to the younger generation. uh, An admonishment for the older generation to be the sort of people that the younger generation can love and respect. And also for the younger generation to be the sort of people that the older generation can love and respect. The challenge is, is that we all have this attitude. Maybe not all of us. I, I get in trouble mostly because Julia gets in trouble for using uh, words like always and never. Julia likes to use words like always and never. And so I tell her not to use words like always and never. And, and then when she hears me do it, she corrects me. She busts me. Yeah. A lot of the time, what we do is we have this attitude that if they make the first move, then I'll, if they, if they go out and get jobs, I'll respect them. If they, if they do life the way I expect them to, I'll respect them. If other side, if, if they respect the, 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 the place in my life that I'm at, I'll respect them. We, we, we have this attitude that we'll do it when the other side does it. But that's not how it works. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is, Paul is specifically telling Titus to instruct the people to get their own acts together, to get their own situations in order, to get their own houses in order. And then when you do that, when you do that, something amazing happens. Then there's this this relationship that is building each other up. When I when I was a youth pastor, this was many moons ago. Um, I was young. I started when I was twenty. I don't know. I mean, I think that's like you're a youth pastor, but all you're also a youth. That's a pastor in that situation when you're 20. I, I mean, I could barely grow a goatee. It was a, it was a, it was for sure a youth pastor goatee. You know, the one that's on the chin, little chin, youth pastor goatee. I didn't know anything. And I didn't know that I didn't know anything. That's the worst part. I was dumb. But I but I loved I loved Jesus and I loved the kids that we had in our youth group and I wanted them to grow and I wanted them to to learn to love God too. But I didn't know what I was doing. And when I had been doing it about a year, 
and and I I really had no idea. I had no idea how to write a sermon. I didn't at that point had gone to Bible college. Um, I, I I really didn't know. I mean, I knew how to read, obviously, but I didn't know how to read the Bible. I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to care about those things. And something really amazing happened. Somebody moved into the office next door. Somebody moved into the office next door. And when that guy moved into the office next door, it changed my life. See, I didn't grow up with my dad in my home. I didn't, my dad wasn't around. I certainly wouldn't say he was a spiritual father. There's a lot of things about life and struggle and pain and discouragement and doubt and, and faith that I didn't learn from my dad. And then Tom moved into the office next door to me. And Tom had experienced pain. He'd experienced hurt. He'd walked through difficult situations. He walked through the, the experience of infertility. He and his wife weren't ever able to have kids. They wanted to. They wa walked through that pain. They walked through the pain of completely walking away from a career that they invested their lives in because they were just so hurt and so burnt out and so broken. But one of the things that happened was that Tom started taking me out for coffee. He, and he always bought. He always, he always bought coffee. And uh, even if I was ordering a, a, a foo-foo drink, as he would call it. And he would listen to me. And he would ask me questions about my life and what I hoped for and what my dreams were. He would invest in me. He gave me books and resources. One particular Sunday or one particular week, I was really wrestling with what I wanted to talk about. And I didn't know how to put it all together in a way that made sense. And he sat down with me and he showed me. One of the most difficult things that I ever did when I was a youth pastor was I helped with the, uh, the funeral service of a young kid in my youth group who was, who was two years younger than me when he died. He died of an asthma attack. And I didn't know what to do. I had no idea how to be at a funeral or act at a funeral or I was... I was just as upset. I was, I was emotional and broken. And I remember sitting in my office the night before the funeral, arguing with God about why I had to do this and why he let this happen. And Tom walked me through some of those really difficult ministry things. When I finally decided to go to Bible college, I ended up going to a school in Missouri. 
not because I like Missouri. Missouri's not not good. Sorry. If it's your favorite state, I'm sorry. I went to Central Bible College because that's where Tom went. I went, and the, the, the night before we packed up and left, he gave me a Bible. Six years later, after going through Bible college, getting my license to preach, and then being, being ready for my ordination, I got to use that Bible as a part of my ordination service. And Tom got to participate in that ordination service. He actually gave me, people ask me about my big gaudy ring all the time. He gave me his CBC class ring when I was ordained. See, I, I wouldn't be who I am today without a previous generation investing in me. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have the voice that I have today. I wouldn't have the experiences that I have today without previous generations investing in me. And I think what we're on the verge of having happen in our country, we're on the verge of completely losing that kind of dynamic, those kinds of spaces, because we're waiting for the other side to get it together. And here's the reality. You, whoever you are right now, whether you're a baby boomer or you're a millennial or you're a Gen Xer, you need those sorts of relationships. And not just the young ones and the, uh, it's not just young people who need the old people. Listen, if you're a baby boomer here, if you're in your 50s here, 60s, 70s, you need young people. And not just to explain how to restart your iPhone. <laughs> you need young people. You need their voice. You need their, the, the, their worldview. You're like, I hate their worldview. <laughs> That's why you need their worldview. You need to see the world through their eyes. Young people, if you don't have a relationship with people who are older than you, you are missing out. You are missing out. The reality is, is that there are things and life experiences that you don't know about and tools and resources that you don't have. And I want to challenge us today. If we, if we can go back and look at some of these things, I want to challenge us. Teach older men to be temperate. So we don't have to hurt feelings like let, let's... Let's decide who the older men are. Let's decide, Bing, you're one of them. I'm sorry. If you're, if you're here and you're an older man, are you temperate? Are you worthy of respect? Are you self-controlled? 
Are you sound in your faith? In your love? I love that. Are you sound in your faith? Are you sound in your love? Like, do you have that together? Are you sound in your endurance? Now, this is the, this is the more touchy. This is more touchy. I'm not going to point at anybody on this one. You're just, you're just going to have to assume you fit in that group or don't fit in that group. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live. Are you a slanderer? Are you addicted to too much wine? Maybe it's not wine. Maybe it's Diet Dr. Pepper or coffee. Or, or Facebook. But teach what is good. Then you can urge younger women to love their husbands. And children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home. I Some of these things are are interesting <laughs> to be busy at home. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. So if we're going to have authentic intergenerational relationships... That's what, that's what we're talking about. Relationships that cross generations. If we're going to have effective intergenerational relationships, we're going to have to do a couple of things. Okay? Step one is we're going to have to respect. And, and, and there's multiple layers to this. Like, we're going to have to respect as a choice, even when it doesn't feel like it's necessary, even when it doesn't feel like it's deserved. So each one of these words that we're going to talk about is actually a word that both sides of the relationship need to develop. So number one is respect. Part of that is learning to earn the respect. Young people, if you're here, you need to get rid of the attitude. Older people, if you're here, you need to get rid of the attitude. Earn the respect, but also respect. Respect is both earned, but it's also mutual. The next one is responsibility. And responsibility is, is determined by need. I don't know anybody who takes the idea of investing in future generations more seriously than Mike. And, and, and he sees the need and he's taken up the responsibility. Mike is an example of that. We all need to take up the responsibility of investing in relationship with, with other generations. 
And that response, the, the, the need is huge. Like if you're looking at another generation, you're like, this, this is what's wrong with them. Whose kids are those? So we, we, have to, we have to own it. We have to own the responsibility. We have to own the responsibility to invest in those relationships. The next one, reciprocity. Who knows what this word means? It goes both ways. Yes, it, it goes both ways. So for, for to develop intergenerational relationships, it has to be a relationship that's mutually beneficial. So, so, so sometimes the older generation, that means you get to buy, buy the coffee because as Walt says, you have the money. <laughs> Young people, what are you bringing to the relationship? Are, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to learn? Are you being teachable? Are you willing to buy the coffee? And the last thing is resiliency. Here's the thing. Sometimes this is hard. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes you're not going to agree. Sometimes you're going to butt heads. Sometimes health challenges get in the way. Sometimes technology gets in the way. The question is, are you going to quit? Or is it going to be worth it? Is it worth it to invest in future relationships? Is it worth it to have the kind of relationship that, that will help you grow as a person? I think it is. My life is a testimony to that. So th this morning, my, my question to you is, what would it look like if we did this? What would it look like if we as a church chose to be a relationship that began tearing down the walls that have been built between generations? What would it look like if we chose to listen and to hear, to respect, to honor one another and to grow as a, as a body? This morning, we are going to take communion. I think it's interesting that, that Paul, he doesn't, he doesn't start with the young people. He doesn't say, young people, get your stuff together. He starts with the older generation. And I think what that means is that you're further down the road. You have more life experience. 
And so what we're going to do, we're going to do communion a little different this morning. And this is where you get to self-identify as an older generation or a younger generation. If you're here and you would say, okay, I'm going to own it. I'm part of the older generation. I'd like you to come, come up and I'd like you to help me serve communion. I want, I want us to take up the charge of, of building and developing meaningful relationships across generational lines. We need it. We, we, we desperately need it. Communion is, a, is an act that we do as a church where we acknowledge and recognize what Jesus did, but it's also an act that we do where we come together. And if we're not coming together, like when we, when we look at the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we, we read about the way in which communion had become something that was actually separating people. And I think sometimes what happens is that we, we miss out on all that community can bring to us because we're not actually. Paul tells, Paul tells the, the, the Corinthian church, hey, when you come to the communion table, and if you have sin in your heart, get rid of it. Like if you show up here and you're, you're, you're not acknowledging the fact that there's something wrong, then you're taking communion in an unworthy manner. And I think one of the things that we ought to confess and we ought to acknowledge is what have we done or what have we not done to develop these sorts of relationships? How have we helped to foster a negative atmosphere when it comes to generational relationships? 